Basic Income Podcast. I'm Owen Poindexter. And I'm Jim Pugh. So there is surprisingly little discussion, I think, of how much everyone would receive under a basic income. And I think that's largely because it's generally assumed we're all talking about roughly the same amount, which would be something like $1,000 a month. And if we talk about how that might change over time, usually we say, okay, well, it'd probably be changed to inflation. And that's usually as far as that conversation goes. However, there are some people who are thinking creatively and dynamically about this question of how we derive the amount that each individual would get under a basic income. So I had a chance to sit down with Alex Howlett. He has been talking about and studying universal basic income for some time and has recently been describing what he calls a calibrated basic income that would really on its own be adjusting how much people are getting based on signals from our economy and monetary system. So here's Jim's conversation with Alex Howlett. Alex, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So to begin with, can you tell us a little bit about your history with UBI? How did you first get interested in the topic? So my background is as a software developer. And in 2011, uh, I was thinking about a world without copyrights and patents. And I was imagining uh, that the economy would still be able to produce everything it was producing before, but a lot of people would lose their jobs, so they'd lose their incomes. So it occurred to me that uh, we, the economy is able to sustain uh, people having more money to spend. Um, and that would be true if you removed copyrights and patents, but it's also true, you know, to the extent that we've eliminated jobs throughout the centuries, you know. Um, so there there has to be a way to provide consumers with spending money. So so what made me first think of the idea of basic income was that uh, it's actually possible to give people a lot of money. So that's kind of where I started from, like realizing that it was actually possible to do this thing. Uh, and then I started thinking about it more from there. So you proposed a particular approach to UBI that you call calibrated basic income. Can you explain what that approach is and how it would work? So the basic idea is that there's a certain level of basic income that the economy can sustain, given you know the productive capacity of the economy, that kind of stuff. Uh, so the idea with a calibrated basic income is to gradually increase the amount of the basic income until you reach that point, like the maximum level of basic income that the economy can handle. And so that's, I mean, that's, seems quite provocative. I think that oftentimes when we talk about basic income, a lot of the focus is around how do you pay for it. And in a scenario like that, uh, it seems like you need a lot of flexibility on on that front. So how, how do you address that side of things? Yeah, so I try to separate um, taxing from spending generally. Uh, so there's room for the government to spend the money. And basically, that means that uh, the government can spend as much money into the economy as they want, so long as the economy can productively respond to the spending, so long as there's something for the money to buy. Uh, and as long as there is, you're not going to get inflation or anything like that. Um, so I would say that the the answer to the question of how to pay for basic income is that you know, you you spend money into the economy. Uh, and you can call that printing money, you can call that deficit spending, whatever you want. Um, but, you know, the government doesn't have to get the money from anywhere. What matters is whether there's room in the economy to add the money. So I know that that view is is one that is actually shared by a, a fair number of, of economists out there in, in the Roosevelt Institute's analysis on the macroeconomic effects. I know they, they also said that this is under the assumption there is slack in the economy. And in that scenario, we would not expect to see any inflationary impact. I would, uh, let me interject. Yeah. Um, I would say you don't have to assume that there's slack in the economy in order for this to be true. Uh, you just have to assume that uh, 
basic income uh, can replace some of the existing mechanisms we use to get spending money into people's hands. So for example, right now we use monetary policy to keep interest rates low to stimulate you know, the equivalent of money printing, but in the private financial sector. Uh, and this creates you know, credit bubbles and then they collapse and we get recessions and stuff like that. So you know, a lot of the kind of problems that we have in our economy with, with the business cycle and all of that ultimately stem from the fact that we're propping up consumer spending through the private sector and basic income can replace some of that. But so I'm just to get in the weeds then a bit, you say it can replace it. But if we were to enact basic income, if those things still exist, you are talking about interjecting new money in that situation now. Uh, no, because the Fed with their monetary policy, they generally respond in the way they need to respond to keep prices stable. So you would expect that as you increase the basic income, as you ramp it up, the Fed will raise interest rates to rein in the private financial sector automatically. So that is, I mean, would you say that's fair to call this a provocative idea, um, since it does differ a lot from, I think, the ways that traditionally we think about monetary policy. Um, so I'm curious, what, what sort of reactions have you gotten when you've talked to folks about this idea? Yeah, I, I would say that the individual parts of it are not necessarily provocative. Like if you talk to a central banker, if you talk to someone who's working at the Fed, you know, they might say to you even today, like, gosh, we really w wish we could raise interest rates, but we don't have enough fiscal support. So basic income is can be that that fiscal support, the fiscal stimulus that allows monetary policy to tighten. Uh, but to your question of what kinds of responses I get, um, you know, it depends on who I'm talking to, because different people are experts on different parts of this. Uh, and depending on who I'm talking to, they're going to object to uh, one part of it or another part of it. But but yeah, generally speaking, it's not something that uh, people just automatically accept as, oh, yeah, that makes sense. We should do that or something, you know. I think one question I have is, I feel like monetary policy is, is an aspect of our larger economic system that is not terribly well understood by the general population, um, and arguably by anyone. Um, but I think that one, one, one question I have around that is, because of this idea that you could be ramping up your basic income up until the point where you, you might start to see inflation, and then you could back off. That, am I understanding that as, as an aspect of calibrated basic income? Yeah, I mean, certainly if you set the basic income too high, then you're going to see a period of inflation until the inflation brings the purchasing power of the basic income back down to a level the economy can sustain. Um, but you can stop before you actually start seeing inflation because we can look at other macroeconomic indicators like total economic output. And we can look at interest rates. Like if interest rates get to a level where, oh, well, now maybe they're starting, interest rates are so high that it's hurting private investment and we want to be able to build you know, capacity and have of, you know, business ventures in the future, that kind of thing, then we can then we can know that we're getting towards the, the limit of, of where we want to be with basic income. So in that scenario, uh, I mean, if you if you are if you're either talking about debt financing or, or simply helicopter money to, to get more money into the system, if, if you're decoupling from taxes, one thing I wonder about is there, there's certainly a large aspect of our economy that is really in, in some way dependent on, on faith in the dollar, right? That there is this aspect of perception that drives the, the economic decisions, uh, who's borrowing from whom and, and who's investing in what. And so one thing I wonder about is if you are taking this really more responsive approach in some ways where, where you are trying and looking at indicators, but perhaps pushing the bounds on closer to the limit on be, before you might push more inflation, does that 
potentially cause issues in other areas of the economy because of people's awareness that this might be happening and how it would translate over the long run. Yeah, so I think there's certainly an argument to be made for leaving a little bit of a, a of wiggle room at the end. So don't push it quite to to the limit, but 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 stop a little bit before then, and then you know you know because market sentiment can shift, and people can just suddenly decide to start spending a lot more money, you know, because of psychological reasons or something like that, or maybe they're panicking, or you know. So you want to be able to leave some space for monetary policy to push in the opposite direction of of market sentiment. Um, you wouldn't want to end up in a situation where you're like, oh no, people are spending too much money. We're going to lower the amount of the basic income, and you probably don't want to let inflation happen either. So, so it's good to leave a little bit of wiggle room there. So I noticed that some aspects of this proposal, not all, but some seem to overlap with what you hear from the modern monetary theory folks. Um, in particular, the idea of decoupling spending and taxation. So can you talk a bit about how how this might be connected and, and what are the differences here? Yeah, so I think the MMT people uh, get a few important things right. Uh, one of them is that, you know, at the level of, you know, the monetary zone, uh, taxes do not fund government spending. Um, but they get a lot of things wrong, too. So they kind of have this story about how... Um, Taxes create unemployment. Unemployment is not natural, but then the government uses taxes to create unemployment to get people to work for money in order to pay back their taxes and that kind of thing. Um, and you can certainly have scenarios that look like that. But generally speaking, that's that's not how money works. Like they would say that taxes drive the currency and that the value of currency is pegged to labor. Um, and then they would argue, of course, one of the other main things we've heard from them is that they argue for a federal jobs guarantee. Uh, and, and that's the idea of the government providing a job to everyone who wants one. So the idea is to eliminate unemployment entirely so that everyone who wants a job can have one. Another way to do that, of course, is to keep increasing the amount of the basic income until the people who don't have jobs actually don't want jobs anymore. Uh, so and I, and I think that's a much more um, flexible way to get to a point where um, where you're not in a situation where 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 people are desperate for something that they don't have or something like that. So thinking about how this idea might come to or, or approach reality, um, it seems like something that certainly couldn't be tackled anywhere but the national level because of the dependence on monetary policy. Um, and so what in your mind, because it seems like a big lift here, not just in getting UBI, but also in shifting the way that, that we handle monetary policy in the country. Um, so I'm curious, in your what is your sense as to what the pathway to something like this might look like? Yeah, so it, it wouldn't really be shifting monetary policy per se, because we pretty much get monetary policy right. The Fed generally does the right thing. Um, it would be a shift in how we think about fiscal policy, um, you know, in, in, in matching taxes with spending, that kind of stuff. Um, so in, in terms of how we get there, um, I don't know. It's a tricky thing. A lot of this is is political questions. But then I think a big part of it is you're not going to get the political change that you want if there isn't the theory to back it up. So if there aren't experts that are saying, yeah, this is actually how it works. Um, and you guys are limiting yourself by by forcing yourselves to to collect taxes to balance the budget or, you know, make policies revenue neutral, that kind of thing. So I think the first step is to um, 
is to get the theory right, get economists involved. You know, there's really, you know, basic income is becoming a big thing, but what they're really missing is economists. So, so we need to get some, some real economists who are, who are championing this, this stuff. That was Jim Pugh and Alex Hallett on the Basic Income Podcast. Going into this, I was sort of wondering how he was going to come up with, with a, a system for, you know, how do you actually um, come up with a number um, based on, on what he's talking about. And I was heartened that he mentioned a, a handful of measures like inflation, economic output, employment, you know, obviously you could go beyond those because I feel like any system like this would have to, you'd have to feel like it, it was taking a, a picture of the full economy in a way that was meaningful and sensical just because I, I think this is a, a very good goal of, of trying to have a basic income that responds to the economy as it is in any given moment, but it's a challenging one. And you can imagine an algorithm kind of going off the rails where like everyone gets 32 cents or everyone gets $100,000 or something. If, and so you, you need, I think, a lot of inputs and some, some human input trying to put it all together. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I think that Oftentimes, when when people are coming up with, because I mean, it's, it it looks very different than what we have today. Um, although I guess you could say it about any basic income system, but uh, I think that oftentimes uh, it's easy to miss some some subtle aspects of understanding how what you need to be paying attention to or how things will change. And so, yeah, having that more holistic view of what's going on, I think. And again, both in the economy, but also in people's lives, and, and using that to be able to adjust it. If you can do that effectively, that, that seems great. Like, yeah, something that is, we don't have to go through a major legislative process every time we, we want to, to make an adjustment, but rather you have baked in this ability to be able to, to manage itself in some capacity. Yeah, and another idea, and this isn't exactly Alex's idea, but it, it got me thinking of having a basic income that instead of coming in with an amount, it's you more come in with a formula, which is sort of what Alaska does. They say, you know, we, we take our, our oil revenues, we invest it, and then everyone gets a chunk of that revenue every year. And so instead of saying everyone in Alaska gets $2,000 a year, it's like, you know, we, we do some stuff with some money and, and you get a chunk of the surplus. And I'm wondering if there is a way of doing a, a bigger version of that that would be more of a formula that would be much more politically palatable that says if inflation starts to get out of control then we automatically adjust it back if you know if something happens with employment you know whatever it is you know um, and so it feels like you're you're not we're, we're not just taking this huge chunk of money and then figuring out how we pay for it and what we do with with everything else it's saying okay we we've got a productive economy it's producing money money's going in and out of the government and, and you get your cut. We're, we're sort of like, we're, we're the middleman between the economy and the government, and, and we're taking out some of that and giving it back to you. Something like that. They could feel much more um, liberating and less top-down. Um, and obviously, this is a mostly unformed thought. Oh, I haven't like, hashed out any details at all here. But it I got me thinking that there might be kind of a sneaky path to basic income that way. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I feel like my initial reaction to something that does propose substantial changes to fiscal policy is to assume, oh, that's too hard. 
Like that's there's too much resistance to that, and there is resistance. I mean, people talk about different ideas for how to do this, and generally, we're still doing things the same way we have for decades. But I don't know. It's it's making me question to some degree my what what I see as kind of conventional wisdom around that because. I mean, let's be real. It's also incredibly hard in this moment to think about doing any sort of legislative change of that scale. So, is it is it any less realistic to say like let's let's really tackle this on that side of things and and push for for a change on how on how we we handle fiscal policy in order to potentially make the case for basic income far far easier than it is in this in the way we have things right now. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know either. I feel like fiscal policy is such a black box to most people that I don't know. Maybe there are ways of framing this where it's just like, yeah, we we you know made some changes to how the Fed works, and now every, now everyone gets two hundred bucks a month. Like you know, it's it's your monopoly money for pass and go. Um, I, I think yeah, there are ways of framing this that might just sound much less objectionable than we're gonna give everyone a thousand dollars a month and then figure it out from there. Um, because it, I don't know, uh, there, we did quantitative easing and like no one batted an eye. So. Right. We, are, we already do this for banks at different times. So why, why should it be any harder to just do it and have people receive it? So one thing that Alice had wanted me to mention uh, after our discussion was uh, that he, he has a course he highly recommends on Coursera called Economics of Money and Banking. And that, in his view, really understanding how money works is, is core to being able to, to truly understand UBI. And so for any listeners who are interested in delving more in the weeds here, you might want to go and check that out. That'll do it for this episode of the Basic Income Podcast. Thank you to our producer, Eric Davidson. Please rate us and review us on the podcast service of your choice. And we'll see you next week.